This morning I'm going to be moving on through our series that we are doing together on making room in our hearts. And we've been following along with the candles that we light around the Advent wreath about all of the ways that we focus our attention during Advent. So we've talked about what it means to make room in our heart for hope and room in our heart for love, room in our heart for peace. And this morning we consider what it means to make room in our heart for joy. And as we do that, I'm going to read a passage then that comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And this is the story of the Magi. But this is a story that traditionally, I think, uh, is saved for right after Christmas. This is a story that fits with our liturgical church calendar. It's a story of Epiphany. So it's not one that we usually would read during Advent itself. But this one, I think, in particular for us today, focuses our attention on what it means to make room in our heart for joy. So, today, this is coming from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses. This is the story of the Magi, or the wise men. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. That's as far as we'll read this morning. Considering the story of the Magi and what that has to do with making room in our hearts for joy. This story of the Magi, the story of the wise men, is one that that always fills me with so many questions. So many questions about how this story worked and what's really going on behind that. There's, there are questions about the star. What exactly did they see in the sky? Was it some kind of an alignment of planets? Was it a comet that maybe appeared? Was it some kind of a supernova or exploding star, some kind of a celestial event like that? Or was it something that was entirely supernatural and had no explainable natural origins whatsoever? 
How is it that they saw the star and were able to travel then? Did, did they only travel at night when they could see the stars to know that? Or did they just chart the course by that? Was it something they could see during the day when the sun was out and travel that way? How did this star actually come to move and lead them to a particular house in Bethlehem and stop over that house? So many questions about that that we just don't know. We don't have the answers to. I have questions about the Magi. There's not a lot told about who they are or where they're from, except to say that they're from the East. So how far did they go? Where exactly did they come from? How did they know this story so that when a star appears, they knew what it meant and where to go and what to look for? How did all that come into place? You know, we we have Christmas carols and traditions that say that there are three of the wise men. The Christmas carol that says, we three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we travel afar. We've maybe all seen the Christmas cards or the posters that come to us that, that have this picture of three camels, three wise men, a star shining, leading them to a stable where Jesus is born. We, we have these pictures in mind of that, but, but there's nothing in the text, the Bible here in Matthew, that, that gives us really that picture. We don't know how many magi there were. We only know that three gifts are named in particular. But it seems much more likely that, that there would have been more than three of them, and that they would have had more with them, more people traveling with them, than just coming by themselves. You see, because the land directly to the east of Israel is is barren wasteland, it's a desert. So the next civilized uh, country or kingdom or nation that's out there would have been in Persia or the former kingdom of Babylon. That would have made a journey of 900 miles. So these are likely then royal astrologers that come from the area of Persia, formerly Babylon, they would have to journey some 900 miles following the trade route that would have taken them up to the north and down and around so that they wouldn't go through the desert or or through the mountains that were impassable to get through there. This would have been a journey that would have taken months and would have required for them to travel with a large entourage of attendants and other royal officials. They would have come into the land of Israel, into Jerusalem, noticed their arrival would not have been a secret because there would have been many of them who came that way. That seems to be the most likely scenario of how this plays out, that there's this large group of these royal astrologers from Persia who come into Jerusalem. There's some of the characters in the story Interesting, though, that, uh, that in this story, as we list these characters, that Jesus himself does not figure that prominently, right? And in fact, they don't even name him in this story. They ask, the, the only line that you have recorded in Matthew that, that we hear the Magi say is, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? And they follow the star and they find the child with his mother. So so Jesus, he's a part of the story, but he doesn't seem to be the main character that's going on here. There are other characters in play, focusing on the Magi, and particularly then the interaction that the Magi have 
with Herod and his officials. That seems to be the main point of the story. I guess that makes sense a bit because if we were to back that out a little bit and consider how this comes into play, you, you, if you read Matthew's gospel, Matthew does not include any of the other stories about Jesus being born. There's nothing about shepherds or a journey to Bethlehem. There's nothing about being re- the baby being wrapped in swaddling claws and placed in a manger. There's nothing about an angel choir that comes and sings on the hillsides outside of Bethlehem. None of that is in Matthew's gospel. Matthew begins his gospel with a family tree, a genealogy. He goes from Abraham all the way to Joseph. And he does that in a way that highlights David along the way so that we can see then that Jesus is in a family that belongs to the line of the kings from the descendants of Abraham. The other story that we see in Matthew chapter 1 is the angel coming to Joseph and telling Joseph, take Mary and this child to be your own, to be a part of your own family, so that we get the story then from Matthew that Jesus comes into, is taken into the family of Joseph, And Joseph is a part of the line, the family lineage that traces back through David, the king, all the way to Abraham. Matthew then is highlighting something for us, isn't he? He's highlighting that Jesus belongs to the family, the line of the kings. That's Matthew's point. That's what he's after. That's why it seems that that Matthew doesn't seem to have a particular interest in really needing to put out there the stories of shepherds and angel choirs and, and all of those other events. Matthew wants to communicate something in particular to his audience. Matthew writes his gospel to the Jewish Christians who are converting to Christianity. And he wants to highlight that Jesus is king, the kingship of Jesus. So it's no surprise then that this story of Magi makes its way into Matthew's account of where Jesus comes from because it's a story that highlights the kingship of Jesus. It's a story that focuses on characters who are royal, who are nobility, who are of kings themselves in some sense. So that's where the Magi come from and where they play into this. It's Matthew's way of saying, we're going to focus on the royal characters because I want to highlight the way in which Jesus himself is a king as he comes in this. So that's how we see this coming out of that, that the Magi are part of a royal society who come this way, and that Matthew then authors this in a way that shows the kingship of Jesus. And we see that in all of the ways this comes forward. But now there's another character. Another character that comes into play here, and that's Herod. Herod, who is called the king of the Jews, but let me explain something about who Herod actually is and where Herod actually comes from. Herod is an Edomian. Now, maybe we're not familiar with that term. It means he came from the land of Edom. He was an Edomite, a descendant of Esau. The the land of Edom that you read about in the Old Testament, when Rome came and conquered, they renamed that area, that region, 
to be Edumia. So that's why Herod is considered to be from that area, from those people. So he's not even an Israelite. And he's certainly then, as not being an Israelite, he's certainly not of a royal line that could be the king. He is, in other words, an illegitimate king. He does not belong on the throne in Jerusalem. So how did he get there? Well, Herod turns out to be a very shrewd politician. And so when Rome comes and takes over, it's Herod who works his way in and comes to that place of power by gaining favor with the Roman officials, by presenting himself as someone who is not a threat to Rome or Rome's power or control. And so Rome places Herod, they appoint Herod as the king of that region, knowing that Herod is sort of their puppet in that area. That Herod will do whatever Rome tells Herod to do, and Herod will not challenge Rome on that. That's how Herod comes to be the king in this place, but he's not the rightful king of Israel. Picture the scene then. Imagine how this comes down. Magi, these royal officials, a large entourage come rolling into Jerusalem. They find the king, Herod, because they are royalty and they're looking for royalty. They stand in front of Herod, who calls himself the king of the Jews, and they ask him, So, where is the king of the Jews? Right to his face. You can almost read between the lines. Where's the one who's the real king of the Jews? Because you're not him. You're not really the king here. You can imagine the awkwardness of that moment. Herod then and his rulers are, the Bible tells us, disturbed. Disturbed because they know Herod's not the real king, the legitimate king. And now these foreign royal astrologers come rolling into town and they call him out on it. There's another one who's come. Another one who's born. Another one and we've seen the sign that the real king has arrived. So for Herod, this news of Jesus represents a threat. It's a threat to who he is. It's a threat to all who are with him. And it says that it's a threat to, to all of Jerusalem, that all of Jerusalem is disturbed. Now, now that's Matthew's way of telling us that it's, it's all of those royal officials and it's all of that other nobility that Herod puts in place to help him maintain power and to rule. So everyone who's a part of Herod's control, a part of Herod's power, sees this as a threat this news of Jesus. These are the characters that come into play here. So even though the story is about Jesus being born as the king, this story is really one that focuses on these other two characters or groups of characters, the Magi and all of their entourage and officials on the one side, and Herod with all of his royal company on the other side. And what we see then in this story is the interaction and the reactions and the responses that come from these characters 
that demonstrates something for us. So, so let's focus on that, the response, because that's what we see in this story. That in this story, that we see a response from the Magi, and we see a response from Herod and all of his people there too. First, the Magi. Matthew tells us in his gospel that the Magi are overjoyed when they find the house in Bethlehem and they come in and they see the child and Mary. Their response is one of being overjoyed. You know, in the original Greek text of this in Matthew, there are actually four Greek words that are all pushed together there that our Bibles translate as simply being overjoyed. It's four Greek words that if you were to take each one of them literally, it would be excessively large rejoicing gladness. Right? Two words for how big it was, how excessive it was, and two words for the kind of joy, gladness that is expressed in that. And our Bible mashes that together to say, overjoyed. But you get where, where Matthew is going with this. He wants to emphasize the reaction that these magi give upon finding Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, I, I suppose some of this makes sense because, remember, this would have been a months-long journey from beginning to end. And, and here they are. They found the conclusion of it. They, they have found the object of their journey that they began, that they so many months ago would have made plans and they would have packed things up and they would have prepared for this journey, that they would have looked to see what does the star mean and where does it go and what is it about, that they have done all of this work to get to this point and now they're there. They've come to that place where they have seen what it is that they have been searching for. Seeing Jesus then affirms for them what they saw and believed and followed. So that part makes sense, but, but there's, there's more to it. Because this is a response of joy that also, look at this, includes action. It's not, not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It's not just something that's inside, but, but it takes shape in what they do. Action that we see, first of all, behind the scenes, that they were willing to pick up everything that they had in their lives and, and move for months to go find this. But then, upon finding Jesus, look at the action that takes place there. They bow down and worship Jesus, a child, a helpless child. And they open up their treasures and they give gifts, valuable gifts, to Jesus. Their response of joy is a response that, that's followed up with some action. Or maybe to take this in a direction that ties with the series that we're doing in this series of messages. The Magi show for us that they make room in their hearts for joy. You know, it's not just a knee-jerk reaction. It's not just something that gives me that momentary feeling of pleasure, but, but they have made room in their hearts for joy so that the joy that comes into their lives can take this expression, can take the action that goes along with it, can really follow through in being a part of who they are and how they live and what they do. We see that. The joy that comes into them is a joy 
that takes action in the response that they give. But there's a contrast in this story because the Magi are not the only ones who give a response. Herod has a response as well. When Herod hears the news, when the Magi come into Jerusalem and they ask the question, so where's the one who's really the king of the Jews? Herod has a response as well. The Bible tells us that he's disturbed, or depending on your English translation, greatly disturbed. It's the Greek word terasso, and it, it literally means to be stirred up or shaken, but it also carries that nuance then of fear or being troubled or dread or terror. Herod is not just a little ticked off or shocked or annoyed upon hearing this. He is filled with terror because of this. His response is one of dread when he hears about Jesus, the king. That news of Jesus as the king of God's people, for Herod, it, it, it means an end to Herod's control over God's people. Herod then is in a place where his reaction is very different from the Magi. I think that's something that Matthew wants us to see in this story that Matthew was highlighting for us these two examples of royalty, the royal astrologers, the Magi, the example of royalty in Herod, the king who was appointed by Rome, and that they both give completely different responses, reactions, upon the news of Jesus, the real king who has come. How does that take shape for Herod then? Well, Herod here seems to be more focused on what he stands to lose and what will be taken from him, right? Herod is one where, where he's just thinking about what he wants to hang on to. Notice how that is contrasting from what we see in the Magi. The Magi are all about what can we give? What, what can we offer our worship and our treasures what can we do that gives to this king who's come from God? Herod's reaction is, wait a minute, not what can I give, but how am I going to hold on to? How am I going to keep my grasp on what it is that I have? In particular for Herod, then, his power, his control, his high position. We see in this, then, that there is a place where the royalty, for those who have been given much, for those who have been blessed with such high places of privilege, find reaction, responses to Jesus, the King. I think Matthew wants us to see this and recognize this in ways that give us that question as well. How it is then that you and I, how do we make room in our hearts for joy? How do we respond? Because we live in a world where we have been highly blessed and privileged as well. We live in worlds where in some ways we could say we have been made kings as well. Right? I, I live in a world where 
where I seek to control so much around me on my own, control my possessions, control the job that I do and the careers that we have, control what it is that we've been given, control our plans and our future. How do we make room in our hearts for joy in that? You see these two reactions that come in this story, which leaves us with those options. Am I one who's willing to let go of my own desire to be a king, to be a ruler, to be master of my own world? Am I willing to let go of that in ways that embrace the joy of Jesus being my king, my ruler, my master? You know, we talk about Jesus in so many different ways. That Jesus is revealed in so many ways in the Bible. We, we think of Jesus as, as our Savior. We think of him as, as the teacher, the prophet. We think of him as the one that we follow. We think of him as the mediator who goes before us to God the Father. We think of Jesus in so many ways. And in fact, in our, in our doctrine, in our theology, we, we name these things. Question 31 of the Heidelberg Catechism talks about the three distinct ministries of Jesus, that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. I want us to notice this morning that this story in particular, in Matthew, the story of the Magi, is not a story that's really calling out the ministry of Jesus as the prophet, the teacher, the one who gives us the example. It's not a story that really calls out for us the way that Jesus is the priest, the mediator, the savior. This story is calling out, in particular, the way that Jesus is the king, the master, the ruler. Now then, you know, we live in a world where there are plenty of people who would say, yeah, I've made room in my heart for Jesus, you know, because, because I see that he's, he's a great teacher, that he's the prophet that he, he is the one who gives wisdom for our world. I've made room in my heart for that. I've made room in my heart for Jesus as my Savior, that, that I've made room in my heart for his grace and his forgiveness to come to me so that my sins can be covered by him and I'm forgiven and I'm made right with God. But for many in our world then, there's a line that's drawn there, isn't it? For many in our world, there's a line that says, when it comes to the point then of saying, Jesus as my king, my ruler, my master, that one becomes a little different. And for some people, a little more difficult. The Magi, who themselves were royalty, who themselves had so much power and status and position, the Magi are willing to humble themselves. Humble themselves to the point of worship and offering their best to a child, to Jesus, who's just an infant at this point. You see, they are, they are in a place where they are willingly and eagerly embracing an opportunity to lay down their own crowns of power and privilege. That's what comes before us in this today, this question that comes as one of how we make room in our hearts for joy. Do we willingly and eagerly embrace opportunities to, to lay down 
our own crowns of power and privilege? Have we made room in our hearts for joy, for joy to come in? If you're watching live stream this morning and, and you have logged in and have chat enabled there, what I want us to do is, is think about some of those things that bring joy into our lives. Some of the things that maybe bring joy for us. So in ways that maybe we can call joy that comes as a blessing from God. So I'll type into mine, family. That the family that God has provided is a source of joy, a blessing that I have from God. But I encourage you then, find some other ways. What, what brings joy into your life? What are some of those things that you would identify as coming from God that brings joy that you're willing to, to share, to tell about? Some of the ways that God has brought that into your life. How do we know and embrace and experience joy that comes from God? As we think about that, as, as we share that, think about this then, ways that we may be able to find that. So as some of you start writing those things in, we're sharing things like friends, family, laughter, Christmas, renewed friendships, good food, community, serving. All those things that come to mind from me, from you, from others around us that we see as sources of joy in our lives. Now then, as you think about those things, two things, two things to leave with today, right? As you think about all of those ways that God has blessed us, and think about the ways that we could respond, the ways that we could react. First then, find a way this week to let go of something that I may want to, may want or desire to get out of someone else. Like Herod, who's seeking to hang on to his own power, his own influence, his own control. Find a way this week with one of those things, with family, with friends, with the ways that we've identified those sources that bring joy into our lives. A way that I can confront that that says, you know what, I am going to lay down my crown so that I stop seeking to grab and control whatever I want to get out of this for me. To let go of that. And then instead, in its place, Find a way then this week for one thing that I may offer to give or to provide for the need of someone else. So as I think about all of those things in my life, and instead of thinking about those in ways where I think, now how can I hang on and keep this all to myself because I don't want to lose any of it? How can I get for myself as much as I can out of it? Instead, think, how can I give or provide to what I see as the needs of others in this, in my family, in my friends, in my relationships, in my community, with what I have, with what I've been blessed with, with what I've been given to provide and care for? 
How can I offer and give for those needs instead of taking and holding on to what I want from those things? Because when we do that, we find there is room in our hearts for joy. That's how we make room for joy. And after all, isn't that the example we see from Jesus? That Jesus, who had all of the majesty, all of the glory, all of the position of being God, the Son, was willing to humble himself, let go and lay all of that down, to come here, to be one of us, so that he may give to us what we needed the most. Redemption before God. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And that's how we find room in our hearts for joy. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift that you give and for the joy that it brings. Lord, we confess before you this morning the ways that we have tried to grab and hang on to that for ourselves, losing sight of the needs of others. And so we pray today that you would fill our hearts with joy. Fill us with joy in ways that allows us to see the needs of others around us. It allows us to respond in worship. And Lord, through that, may you receive the honor and the glory through the worship that we bring, through the treasures that we lay down. Fill us with joy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.